Is an army rising up? Yes, there's an army rising up. There's an army rising up to break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain. Now there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Yes, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, and there's a bright that's rising up, oh there's a bright that's rising up, oh now there's a bright that's rising Break every chain. Just sing this one more time. Oh, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Oh, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Oh, he'll break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. One more time. Now he'll break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Amen. We just want to welcome you this morning. Let's put it into the key of G. Believe and let's sing that song, You Are God Alone. Oh, you are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. God alone, yes, you are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne, you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are You are not a God dependent 
not any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. And you're the only God whose power none can contend. You're the only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of anything we can give. You are God, that's just the way it is. For you are God alone, from before time began. You are on your throne, you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone. You're unchangeable, unshakable. Unstoppable, that's who you are. You're unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable, that's who you are. And unchangeable, and unshakable. You're unstoppable, that's who you are. For you are God alone, from before time began. You were on your throne, you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, time began, you were on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God heard how Christians long ago were brought before a tyrant's throne. They were told that he would spare their lives if they would renounce the Deny, like a 
have gone. But the cause of Jesus still goes on. Now our time has come to count the cause, to reject this world, to embrace the cross. So one by one, let us live our lives for the one who died to give us life till the trumpet sounds on that final day. Let us proudly stand and boldly say that I, I pledge allegiance to with all my strength and all I am I will seek to honor His command I pledge allegiance to the Lamb oh, now I pledge Jesus. I want to know more about my Jesus. I want to know more about my Lord. I want to know more about that mansion. I'm going to receive as my reward, and I want to know more about that homeland, I mean to go there someday somehow, and after I reach that heavenly city, I mean to know more than I know now, while traveling this world of sorrow I'm on my way to glory land I'll not turn back for some tomorrow my trials here I'll understand oh, I want to know more about my Jesus I want to 
about my Lord. I want to know more about that mansion. I'm going to receive as my reward. I want to know more about that homeland. I need to go there someday, somehow. And after I reach that heavenly city, I mean to know more. I'm coming back, the Lord did say, if on His promise you've depended, on wings of love you'll soar away. I want to know more about my Jesus, I want to know more about my Lord. That heavenly city, I mean to know more than I know now. I'm glad I know the blessed Savior, for through His blood He set me free. Though rough the road, I shall not waver, for some glad day His face I'll see. I want to know more about my Jesus. I want to know more about my Lord. I want to know more about that mansion I'm going to receive as my heavenly city I mean to go no more than I know now I want to know more about my Jesus I want to know more about my Lord I want to know more about that mansion I'm gonna receive as my That heavenly city, I mean to know more than I know now. And after I reach that heavenly city, I mean to know more than I know now. Let's sing that song, um, Feel My Way. 
So fill my way every day with love as I walk with the heavenly dove. And let me go all the while with a song and a smile. Fill my way every day with love. So let me walk, blessed Lord, in the way thou hast gone, leading straight that land above and giving cheer everywhere to the sad and the lone fill my way every day with love so fill my way every day Savior and God, let me never in darkness roll. Keep my path free from wrath and my soul satisfied. Fill my way every day with love. So fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove. Let me go all the while with a song and a smile. Fill my way every day with love. Soon the race will be over and I'll travel no more. But abide in my home above. Let me see, blessed King, all the way to the shore. Fill my way every day with love. Fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove, let me go all the while with a song and a smile. Fill my way. change the order of our service now before we take our prayer requests here. We have several. Let's just sing that song uh, in the presence. So in the presence of
musicians would just continue to play that softly. And after I finish reading these, if I could have Brother Andy come up and uh, pray for these requests. We just want to remember uh, Sister Sarah Basaki, who is not feeling well. She's at home, so if we could just uh, remember her. Um, also, I have here that uh, my mom and Ashley are away in Virginia traveling. So if we could just remember them, that they would have uh, safe travels back. They will be coming back this afternoon, evening, sometime. And also the Jacksons are away, uh, just taking some time away. So if we could just remember them, as well as uh, Brother Ben and Sister Rachel Pritchard, who are away. Um, we just want to continue to remember Brother Danny Florian and his recovery. And also uh, the Whitlocks are away. Uh, they're having to work this weekend. So if we could just remember them. And I have a uh, special prayer request here as well for Brother Joseph Drum, who uh, just really needs a touch, a healing touch from the Lord. So if we could just remember him in prayer as well. And uh, just by the raising of your hands, any unspoken prayer requests? And Andy, if you would. Lovely Lord Jesus, our heads are bowed before you, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come into your presence, Father. Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us for anything we've done wrong. And by faith, Father, we lay our hands upon the Lamb of God who took our place. And Lord, we ask that if we've done anything that would hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit, within this church, with our own minds, Father. We ask that you would cast, bind, and banish it, Father. And Lord, we approach you, Lord. And we ask, Father, that these prayer requests that were read, Father, says in your word that if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek, you shall find. And if you knock, it'll be opened. Lord, there's many that are asking for healing. Healing in their bodies. Healing in their minds healing in their spirits, Lord Jesus. Lord, on the basis of Your Word, may You come and fulfill that Scripture, Father, for a complete healing, Lord Jesus. Those that are traveling, Father, surround them, protect them, bring them to their destination safely and back home again to their families safely, Father. And Lord, as the Word comes, as our pastor stands behind this desk, no doubt he has many notes, Lord Jesus. But we desire to hear from you this morning, Father. Not from Brother Barry, Lord. We desire to hear what the King of Kings has to say to his bride this morning, Lord. And Lord, may the word come in such power that it would cut the carnal ties that keep us far from you, Lord Jesus. Bring us closer to thee, I pray. Lord, may the veil of the Holy Ghost just shut around this little small group, Father. Even those that are listening by way of the internet, draw us in that we would sup with you this morning. And we give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We don't have any specials, so I'll just keep you standing. Oh, I did not know that. Sister Rebecca is going to sing. So uh, you may have your seats. So she would just come at this time.
Abraham knelt deep in his heart. He trusted and obeyed, and so he offered up his son as if to say. Just stand with me, and at this time, we'll ask the ushers to come forward for our tithes and offering. And Brother Mike, if you would pray over the tithes and offering.
Amen. And as Brother Barry comes this morning, let's just sing that song more of you.
And Lord, we do know that you care about your people and all that we go through. And as long as we are in this life, change and decay is stamped over everything about this world. But Father, we are thankful that we possess eternal life inside these vessels. And heavens and earth can pass away, but your people never will. Your word will always remain. And Lord Jesus, we're thankful for that hope that burns within our hearts today. Lord, we remember those needs that have been mentioned, Lord, and there are many, always many, Lord. But today especially we remember Sister Danielle and her father, Lord, and his passing and the stepmother, Lord, who's in the hospital. Father, we know it's a great burden for her, but we place her before you this morning and ask now that you would just bring comfort, Lord, as only the Holy Spirit can. We just want to say we love you and we thank you, Lord, for our times together. And Lord, just have your way, we pray now, in the reading of the word. And Lord, may you just take control now. I'm just going to step back and, and Lord, just let you have your way and speak to hearts today. And Father, we believe that your gatherings are always for a purpose. There's always a need and there's always a way you speak to us that's special. And so we just commit the service now into your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated this morning just for a few moments. Thank you, musicians. We appreciate uh, your part this morning. And uh, we'll let them take their seats as well. And we greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus today. It's certainly an honor to be here and uh, great to have all of you with us today. Good to see Sister Cindy here. And may God bless you. I was texting Bill this morning and trying to catch him, but he's somewhere between here and there, right? And uh, good to have you with us today. So let me catch up on a few events here, and then we're going to just jump in this morning and uh, trust that the Lord will bless you today. Uh, good to have Brother Roger uh, with us today, and Brother Daniel. Um, Brother Tim Ashong is your uncle, is that right? Yes. He, Brother Tim Ashong wrote me the other day and said he's coming by. He's going to be with us in the first week of November. Uh, and he said, you have my sister and your nephew uh, in the church. And I had to think for a minute, and I thought, he's right. He's right. God bless you. And uh, so we're looking forward to Brother Tim. Brother uh, Marcus Becker also will be coming from Germany uh, in a little while as well and, and uh, going to be visiting us. But let's do a, a couple of birthdays. I'll let you know those dates as we're coming up here. September 26th uh, was Andy and Jen Irish's anniversary. How many years? We didn't get to announce that formally, so God bless you. Uh, we appreciate the Irishes very much. And that was also Sister Sue Shepherd's birthday. Uh, she is at home uh, now and uh, doing some better. And uh, we're just praying for her. That's where Sister Sarah and Sister Ashley are today. Uh, Joe Pascal, uh, his birthday was on the 27th. Uh, he had to work today. He's not able to be here. But Joe works in a uh, service, very much a service industry, and he gets uh, placed on call uh, very often. So he, they make plans to come and uh, doesn't always happen. We mentioned Sister Frida's birthday on September 29th. Uh, also, Sister Caitlin's birthday. She's uh, not here today. Hans is here, right? He must have drove himself. And um, October 2nd is David Cockman's birthday, right? But David's not here today. And then Sophie's birthday is today, right? God bless you, Sophie. How old are you? Twelve, Twelve years old. Wow. And Katie Franklin's birthday out in Arizona. And then the fifth is the Browns anniversary, right? How many years? 19 years. 19 years. God bless you both. Appreciate you both. 
Now, uh, while we're doing dates here, uh, next Saturday, next Saturday evening, October 9th, we're doing a uh, family gathering uh, with children of all ages, including the young adults. And this is uh, one that the Irishes had organized, and we're going to be doing it here in the Fellowship Hall from 5 to 10. So you're welcome to come. All families are welcome to come, whether you have big kids, little kids, no kids, doesn't matter. And it's just going to be a relaxed evening. And we need to know by Wednesday night if you're planning to attend. So if you could let the Irishers know uh, by Wednesday evening. Brother uh, Diggs is going to be with us actually on Wednesday night. And so we're asking everyone to bring a, uh, a drink and a dessert, an appetizer to share like they, uh, we've done before. So that will be on this coming Saturday evening. November 13th, we're going to be doing a church event. So it's going to be from 1 o'clock until dinner time, and we're going to be letting you know a little bit more about that. But it'll be like a fall festival that we'll have, and it'll just be a fun afternoon on uh, Saturday afternoon. So uh, you want to mark that uh, date. We have very few dates that are open in, uh, for the rest of the year. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, keep that in mind. Today we had planned to do a communion foot washing service We've moved that to October 17th, and um, I'll remind you again of that uh, upcoming here. I did this for the brothers who were at the men's meeting. Uh, there's two documents here, and I put them in the lobby for you. They're free, and everybody, if you'd like to have one, they're two very interesting documents. And one is the uh, front page of the New York Times in May 1948 when the uh, when the statehood of Israel was announced. It was, it was placed on the front page of the New York Times. And this is the copy of the front page of the article. The second document is the Declaration of Independence that the nation of Israel declared on May 14, 1948. Uh, and that's in its entirety there. And it's got all the signers of that declaration. It was signed in Tel Aviv in Israel in 1948. And this is the... Uh, the actual uh, statement of independence that they made. So that is available. It's in the lobby there, and you're welcome to take that. Uh, just provided that for you, and uh, want you to uh, enjoy that. That's that's the real thing. That's the that's the real document. All right. I just wanted to show you a couple of these because these came in. Uh, these pictures came in uh, over the last 24 hours, I'd say, and just wanted to share some of these with you here. And I want you to take note of something here as we look at this. Isn't it great that we've got such nice monitors? Jeremy, we appreciate the nice monitors. On the old projector, we'd never be able to see a picture that was sh uh, framed like that. But uh, we're thankful for these monitors. Aren't you glad for our sound system and our monitors and our streaming and everything else? It really does make a difference. It's a blessing. So we sponsor these missionaries, us and a couple of other churches. We pool resources together to sponsor almost 20 missionaries who go out of Arusha and they travel in all of East Africa in the Swahili-speaking world. And uh, they're, they're going now on a regular basis because they have regular funding and they go out uh, and minister to these people in the bush and they're gone sometimes two, three, four weeks at a time. And they travel, they baptize, and now they're establishing a lot of these new believers, because there's so many new believers. And Brother uh, Elias told me, he said, it's becoming so big. He said, there's so many new converts now. We just need to have missionaries on the road continually. And uh, so this is some of the pictures of their recent journeys. And I haven't put all the pictures here, but these are just some of them. And, of course, they're baptizing, and then they have a fellowship like this. And 
this is very familiar. If you travel in that area, this is what you do. You know, the brothers love to sit and talk about the word. And uh, this is Brother Malachi, and uh, they're uh, sharing in the, in the um, new area, Loliando, where the uh, revival is taking place there among the Maasai. But what I wanted you to notice was in these pictures here that's a little bit different is that now when new converts are brought into the faith and are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, they now have books in their language. This is, not, this is what we've never been able to do before. But now when they come in, and you can see them, they're studying the Word. Now they have their own Bible, and the minister there on the right-hand picture, uh, I don't remember his name, but uh, he's going through the Bible with that sister there. And, you know, they're able to sit down and uh, have their own book and mark it in their book and have their Bible and that's, that's just a great blessing for them. And they realize, uh, you know, more thoroughly the whole uh, story of salvation and, uh, you know, what the scripture requires. And now they have it in their language. So it's just really great uh, that they can have that. Same thing is happening now in Malawi. And uh, this picture came in this morning. Uh, the, one of the ministers there sent me, this is uh, Brother Precious who made the statement here, but other ministers and other pastors now in the country are sending me pictures of what it's like now to have this material in their church and in their village because they're traveling around all over the region now giving out these books. But Brother Precious said this morning, Malawi is reading again. He said, we thank you for the effort. So for many of them, they never had a book before, and they haven't had new books for years and years and years and years. So now they're uh, just excited to have that, and I thought this picture uh, capped it off. I thought that was really great. Uh, for them in their church. And this is this morning uh, for them to be able to have that material. And they're certainly happy and uh, they're sharing books and are already asking me, what's next? What's coming next? What's, what's going to happen? And uh, so we're thankful for that opportunity to be able to provide. Let's stand to our feet this morning again, if you don't mind. We'll have you read in the Bible. We're going to be going in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. The way we are. There's reasons why we are the way we are. And we want to talk about that this morning in Hebrews, the first chapter. Hebrews is a unique book. It is the only book in the New Testament that begins with the word God. It's written differently than the rest of Paul's epistles. But it starts out this way, Hebrews 1 and 1. God, who at sundry times in a diverse manner spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. It's the only time that phrase is used. The express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, that he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Lord, we ask your blessing on the reading of the word, and 
Father, may you just quicken it now and express yourself, I pray, freely among us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I just wanted to give you this little statement here because I thought this was really a nice little statement of Brother Branham in 1959. He said, we would ask, Lord, that you would bless this little church today, the pastor, the deacons, the board, the members, the strangers that's gathered in our gates. And we are grateful for fellowship. How many can say amen? amen. We're grateful for this fellowship and for hearing someone say that they drove many miles for service. That's kind of the norm now. And truly the scripture is made manifest when it said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. That's the drawing card, isn't it? That's the reason we gather. That's what pulls us together in one place is, is when Christ is lifted up. I mean, that's why we're here, right? We're not here because of the number of people, and we're not here because of the beauty of the building. We're here because of Christ. And we know, Lord, that thy church is not in the majority. The true believers are in the minority. doesn't bother us, right? doesn't bother us. If we were fighting a natural war, it might bother us. But this statement doesn't bother us because God's not intimidated by a lot or a few. He's not intimidated by that at all. But someday, Lord, you will take that minority to yourself, and that's the hour we long for. And I'd like to say that's the hour we're preparing for, and I believe that that's what's going on now, is God preparing us for that hour when he will take that little minority uh, to himself. So when it comes to the world's population, we're a very small number. When it comes to the church and evangelical populations, very small number. Uh, Brother Bill Walter sent me a, a, a statement or a little uh, link the other day for uh, out of uh, YouTube where a man was uh, talking about the comparisons between and the uni- unification that's going on between uh, the Catholics and Muslim faiths, for instance, and the things that they have in common. And they were talking about, uh, you know, the, the little tiny group of Protestants that are outside of that movement. And so, therefore, this is, this is a very powerful thing. There's actually all kinds of treaties and things, agreements that are being signed between the Catholic Church and other religions to kind of bind everybody together. Lay down your doctrine, lay down your differences, that we all uh, you know, can be unified together. And one day, maybe we'll uh, show you a little bit of that. But if you take the evangelical movement outside of that, you're, you're talking about a much smaller number. And then if you take the bride out of that number, you're talking about a real small number. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't bother me. Because if it doesn't bother God, it shouldn't bother us, right? The Lord knoweth them that are his. And he's got them all numbered, and he knows exactly where they are. And one day soon, Brother Branham said, he'll take that minority to himself, and that's the hour that we're preparing for. So we have a different view of world events. We have a different view of things that happen in the world, and so therefore things like that don't really scare us. But today I want to talk about it, and I uh, just just from my heart, I'm just being pulled in a certain way here, even though, like Brother Andy said, i got piles of notes, always do, uh, because there's no shortage of things to say uh, to the bride of Christ, that's for sure. But I, uh, I, I just you know, want to say to you that uh, this morning that I believe that God has a real uh, purpose in his gathering and in sending the message in the last day. I, I believe that it's really a... Uh, a significant thing. I believe it's, it's a, a very important thing for us to be in tune with what God's doing in our time because that's the only place of peace that we find is left in the world. 
As one of the brothers said in the men's meeting last week, we are at the end of not knowing. We're at the end of not knowing what's going on. We do know what's going on. We do know what's coming. We're at the end of not knowing. Would you agree? We're at the end of being mystified about what's taking place in the world. We can see the Bible talked about what was going to happen in the end of the world. Brother Branham came along and reiterated that and prophesied again about what was going to happen in the end of the world. And now you're living in it and seeing it. We're at the end of not knowing what's going on. We do know what's going on by God's grace. We do know what's happening. And, and if that's true, then uh, that takes the fear away from, uh, from the, the events that surround us and the things that are going on in the world. And I believe that there is a, a presence that is evolving in our time that is powerful enough to bring us to the place we need to be before we leave this world. Let me say it again. I believe that there is in development, I believe that there is evolving a presence among God's people, among the elect of, of, of God, that is powerful enough to transform us from what we are to what we need to be before we are, our bodies are changed. I believe that transformation will draw us right into that kingdom. I believe it'll, it'll uh, quicken that, this whole process that Brother Bram's talking about here, as he talks about many times, and I believe it'll bring us to the place where we need to be so that we can step over into that dimension, and death won't change us. It only changes our dwelling place. Do you agree? Death doesn't change us. It only changes our dwelling place. Now, <clears throat> I, I just want to preface a few remarks this morning, and I, I really want to base this on a statement that I found Brother Branham made. And I'm going to get to that, but I kind of got to give you a couple of scripture verses and a little bit of illustration before we get there, all right? So I'll tell you when we get there. But I want you to follow me now as we look at this. Paul writes, or sorry, John writes, uh, in, a, in a form of prophecy, he says, Beloved, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And therefore the world knoweth us not, uh, because it knew him not. That's still true, still very true. That it doesn't know us because it didn't know him and they'll never really understand who you are. They'll never really understand who's among them. And that's a terrible thing. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, and that's the key, that's the time frame there. Whenever he appears again, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. The difference between this time and that time is that whenever that time comes, we will become progressively more like him because we shall see him as he is. There will be more to know about Christ in in days and ages to come. We don't know how long that's going to take. And, of course, John and the people of that age, they believed that, uh, you know, things were, things were going to happen in their lifetime. They believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime, and Jesus would wrap everything up and take the kingdom out of the hands of the Romans and restore it back again. Many of them died believing that in their day. But it didn't happen in their day. But now it's happening in our day, right? And the key is, is that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in himself, uh, in him, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Every man that hath this hope in him, purifies himself. In other words, he's using everything that's available in that hour to take advantage of all of the things that God has promised we would be. Now, if you don't mind, let's, uh, let's just take a look here 
uh, and this is just a, a bonus. I don't even have it on the screen here. But Romans chapter 8, if you'll just flip back for a moment here. Romans the 8th chapter. And just watch what Paul writes here. Romans the 8th chapter. These are all going to be familiar passages of scripture here, but I just trust that the Lord will allow me to be able to share what's on my heart for you today, and it'll be a blessing to you. Romans 8, there is now therefore no damning sentence to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. In other words, that word walk there, it means that they would progress and make use of the opportunities that are provided. That God gives you the opportunity to be prayed for, that you might be delivered. That God gives you the uh, renewed promise of healing. Hey, divine healing is not new. It's been around since Calvary's cross, isn't that right? I mean, you go back, it's been around since the brass serpent. It's been around a long time. It's not new. But it's new for you if you've never taken advantage of it. But when it becomes available to you, and God quickens it to you, that he's a healer today, the same as he ever was, and you have a need in your body today, it's not God's fault if you don't take advantage of the need that, that uh, God has supplied for. Right? In other words, God, God has given us opportunities. He's given us resources, and he wants us to take advantage of those things here. And that's what the word walk means, as Paul writes in Romans 8 and 1, who walk not after the flesh. We're not looking for natural resources, and we're not looking to humans uh, to, to meet every need that we have. We look to God. We look to the tree of life. I've I've got a couple of shalom in the home pieces left that I need to bring, uh, and one of them is shalom in the mind, and and the other one is shalom in the covenant, and that ha- that's kind of X-rated, and I, I'm sorry to admit it, but I I haven't preached it yet because I have to not it's not as X-rated. Some of you looked at me with, <clears throat> but it has it's really for adults. That's what I'm saying. So we got to. We gotta find a way and a time to, to deal with this. But there's, there's some things that I think are important for us to say in relation to that because I don't believe that real true peace comes until we dig in to really tap into what the Prince of Peace has for us. And I will tell you that, uh, God's, God's still dealing with my heart as much as I, uh, as much as He has been. And, and many, many people have asked me, are you done? Is it over? Are you finished that series? Many people outside of here. And uh, I, I just, I have sermons already prepared, they're already done, but I just need the opportunity and the right, uh, right time to do it. Maybe we ought to have a couples meeting. <clears throat> that would be all right. And let some of our older teens volunteer to, matter of fact, what, we thank you now, the older teens, for babysitting all of the younger teens for doing, younger kids. <clears throat> when the presence of God comes, it makes available to you certain things that are, that are available nowhere else. They're not human resources. They are God's resources. They are divine resources. And as Paul writes here in Romans 8 and 1, he says that, that we as Christians, he said, we have therefore no damning sentence against us. And uh, again, let me reiterate something that we spoke about last weekend. But uh, there, there are accusations that Satan will always bring against us because... He seems to know everything that we're about in this life. But you know what? They'll never hold up in a court of law. There are there are mistakes we make. How many would agree? There are things we say, things we do, ways we butt in, uh, things that we should never say, but we do. And Satan is right there to say, aha, if you had it, then you wouldn't do that. And he's right there to do it. And if he could, he'd haul you into court because he's got a list of offenses. But I'm here to tell you, they don't count. 
They don't count because of the blood of Christ. And therefore we have no, no condemnation. We have no damning sentence that's looming out there uh, that's going to stop us if Jesus paid the price for us. And you have to believe that about yourself. You have to trust and, and obey and believe that uh, that is all tr- that is all true. I mean, none of us. I mean, I'd be the first to admit here that we are all messed up, but it doesn't count. We all make mistakes, but it doesn't count in the eternal scheme of things. Somebody say, "Amen." It doesn't count. It doesn't matter because when God looks at us, He looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't count. Uh, if, you, if that's not good enough for you, let me say it in the words of Brother Branham and listen, listen to what he says. And this is 1965. There are so many infallible proofs that Jesus is the place. And the place he's talking about is God's provided place of worship. All right? And he says there's so many infallible proofs that Jesus is the place. He is the tree of life. He's the source of peace, right? He is the well that he talked about uh, in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. He is the, the water that flows out of a, a man's belly if he, uh, you know, takes this water that Jesus talked about. He's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He's everything. And he is the center. And Brother Branham said he's the gate, he's the name, and the only provided way that God has for man to enter into worship. Watch what he says. He is the way, the truth, the life, the gate, the door, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the ending. He's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the morning star, the alpha and the omega. He is all. He is all, and the whole thing put together. He's the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And listen, he said, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Listen now, I'm not, I'm not done. This is the exciting part. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All God was, he poured into Christ. Right? He says, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Where we are in there, sons and daughters to God. In God's Godhead. Let me say it again. In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, where we in there are sons and daughters to God in God's Godhead. I don't know if you can have anything better said to you today that you are a part of God's Godhead. That the Godhead is simply that, that description of all that God is. And when Brother Branham describes this in his parting words in 1965, he includes you in that Godhead and said you're a part of God's Godhead. And let me tell you, if you're a part of that, nothing can separate you from that. Nothing can take that away from you. Yes, he said, as sons and daughters of God, we're in the family, we're in there. And if you're in there, if you're a coffee, if you're born a coffee, there's nothing you can do to not be a coffee. You'll always have it. You can change your name. You can change your hair color. You can change your looks. You can change the redness of your face. But you know what? You'll always be a coffee. Exactly right. So what Paul is telling us is that we as Christians, he said, we walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That's what Jesus did. And that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled, where? In us. In other words, on our behalf, the righteousness of the law, the requirement of the law before a righteous God was satisfied. In other words, God paid the price for his own law. Right? God paid the price for his own law. And we are the benefactors of that who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. 
That promise has been true for all the people of God through the ages. But in the last day, Paul warns us. In the last day, sorry, John teaches us that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Not like him in a physical sense. Not like him in everybody growing a beard and wearing a robe. But like him in the inward man. Now look, I don't have this either. Is it all right if we divert? Ephesians 3. If we're a part of God's Godhead, and that's, that's been just rolling over in my heart ever since I heard it. If we're a part of God's Godhead, the realization of that, the apprehension of that, let me say the comprehension of that statement that you're a part of God's Godhead. If you can grasp that, you're not far from who Jesus is. Okay? Because Jesus knew who he was. And if we know who we are, then you know what? There's nothing, nothing going to happen to you that isn't under God's control. And it isn't out of God's sight. Everything that happens is in God's sight. Now, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, I just want to drop this in here for you, that Paul identifies in, in this whole chapter 3, and we're not going to read it all, but he talks about the great mystery that God has made known unto the sons of men, verse 5. He talks about this great mystery of Christ being revealed in us now. And this is not, in other words, the story of Christ didn't end at Calvary. The story of Christ didn't end at the tomb. The story of Christ keeps going on. It lives on in us. And now we are a part of, uh, of the body of Christ. Now we are a part of God's Godhead. And, and this is the great mystery that God had before the foundation of the world. But now he's made known unto us. And God has shared, God has demonstrated that uh, it's not me that lives, but Christ that lives in me, right? And this is the, the glorious thing that Paul uh, is, is telling the Ephesian church that's what's going on. But remember, at the same time, at the very same time he's saying these words... There are governors and soldiers and uh, the law who are harassing Paul and, and throwing God's people into jail. And that world is still a very violent world. It's still a very uh, dangerous place to be, especially if you're a Christian and you're not somebody who is, uh, you know, saluting the Roman flag every time it passes by. This is a place of people being thrown in jail. This is a place of uh, people like James being beheaded for the gospel, right? This is that era. Are you with me? This is that, this is that time when, uh, you know, the, the Thessalonians, Paul writes to them and, uh, you know, to the believers in other parts of the world where the gospel is being established and this is brand new and the Jews don't like it and the people, most of them don't like it and the authorities don't like it. The Jewish authorities certainly don't like it and the Romans think it's all a pain in the neck and then we got rid of Jesus. We thought that would solve the problem and it hasn't solved the problem. As a matter of fact, when we tried to squash it, it just went like this and now it's all over the place. It's not just here in Jerusalem, but it's all over the place. And this is not a fashionable, easy time to be a Christian. And Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he explains to them how great a thing that God has done. And this is what he says in beginning in verse 13. Read it with me here. Because in the midst of that, or with the background of all of that strife that's around him, this is what he prays. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not in my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. 
For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family and earth, uh, and uh, heaven and earth is named, that he would give you, this is what Paul's prayer is now for that church, it's in the middle of all of that. This is his church, his group. And this is what he prays for. That God would grant you immunity from the law, or that God would grant you, uh, that, you know, the, the troubles around you would not strike you in your church. Does he, does he, uh, pray that God would grow the church so much that the authorities would have trouble really passing laws about you? Does he pray that way? Is that what he's asking God for? No. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of, a, of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And I'll tell you why. Because you can have all the good circumstances stacked up around you and you can still be pretty unhappy and still fearful that you're going to miss the kingdom of God. You can have all the money in the world and still not have the right character that's going to get you into heaven. And Paul is praying the other way. And he's saying, I pray that God strengthens you in the inner man. Because if you grow up there and you mature there and you develop there, it doesn't matter what society throws at you. And it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you. You're going to be able to stand in the face of everything and say, I'm a son of God and I'm proud of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the standards. I'm not ashamed of whatever happens. And I'm not fearful of the future. I believe that God will see me through. And that's what he prayed that the people would have. And I believe in our time, we live in a world that's falling apart. At least back then, the world was not falling apart. The world was dangerous and the world wasn't very nice. But it was still very much intact because it was going to go through for thousands of years after that. But right now, in our time when the world's falling apart, you ought to pray that your kids have strength in the inner man. Because that's going to keep them in school. That's going to keep them in the right frame of thinking when they go to school. I pray for Joe over here, uh, you know, that uh, God would give him strength in the inner man. I pray for Hunter over here, that God would give him strength in the inner man. Because as they go out, and you know, like, uh, you know, just developing their Christian character and the Christian walk, I pray that God would strengthen that part. Not your physical body, and not your academic prowess, not anything like that. I pray for all of you that God would strengthen the inner man. Because I know that if you got strength there, you're going to be able to survive whatever the devil throws at you. You parents ought to be praying for strength for the inner man, for your kids, because there's going to come a time when they're going to be standing, having to stand without you around. And they're going to be having to stand when, when I'm not around and nobody else is around. And that's when you want them to have strength in the inner man. So Paul didn't pray for political peace. He didn't pray for, uh, you know, a calm world to grow up in. He didn't pray that they would be immune from trouble. He didn't pray that the virus would go away. He just prayed that they would have strength in the inside of the inside. And they would do whatever it took for the inner man to grow strong. Because then you can be anywhere and face trouble. And it don't matter. Well, then how do we do that? That's a real good question. That's the process. Here it is. Here's one of the answers anyway. Paul is writing about this example of in Exodus chapter 34 when Moses goes up into the mountain and he receives the commandments, the word of the Lord. And he comes back and he does not even realize that there's a a light, there's a glow that's coming from his skin. And it's a, you know, it's a blinding thing to the people. And so the Bible says, you go back and read, I got the scripture verse on the bottom of the screen there. And you can read it and go back and it says they veiled Moses. And when Moses came and talked to the people, he was veiled. 
And he gave them the commandments. And then when he went back up into the presence of God, he took the veil off. When he came down, he put that veil on again. Now watch what Paul does with this idea of the veil. He says, seeing then that we have such hope, we as Christians, we use great plainness, and that means boldness of speech. I did three sermons recently on, uh, you know, the whole idea of courtship and standards and all of that. And I have, it's funny because I have a, there's, I didn't realize that other ministers were listening and were saying, is that all? Uh, is that it? Are you going to stop there? And they wanted the, they wanted the power. I'm not saying that for the wrong reason. I'm just saying that it's just nice and plain. It's, just, it's not, not a bunch of types and shadows and a bunch of theology wrapped in it. I, I hope, I hope it's plain for your parents. Let's see your hands. Was it, was it plain? Helpful? Was it helpful? Uh, I, better, I better quit. But Paul says, because we have such hope, because God has embedded this in our hearts and quickened it so clearly, he says we can speak it clearly. We can speak it outright. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. Yet the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of the law. The law was the thing that was abolished. And, and he says they, they couldn't even look to the end of that. They couldn't see because of the veils. They couldn't really. And when Jesus came, he stood among them. And, he, and the Bible says he came unto his own. His own comprehend. They knew him not. Because they couldn't see to the end of, of the law, what was abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day there remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away through the blood of Christ. That's the only way that the veil is taken away from you, is through the blood of Christ. What Christ did removes the veil from your eyes. That's the only way you're, you're, you can you truly see and have a revelation of Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, their hearts, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. When they realize that the one that they crucified, the one that they uh, shouted in the streets, crucify him, crucify him, actually was their Savior and Messiah. And when they accept the atonement of Jesus Christ, that veil is taken away. Are you following me? That's what Paul is telling them, that until you receive the sacrifice of Christ, he said that veil remains. And when you come under the blood, the blood that Jesus shed, he said then that veil is taken away. Now the Spirit, the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty, as we've defined many times. Liberty is not now the freedom to do whatever you want. Liberty is not the, the freedom now to go and live and smoke. Uh, like, you know, some people have asked the question that if, if uh, you're predestinated, let me see if I can answer, say the question right. If you're predestinated, it means that you can do whatever you want. So why can't you do any kind of sinful thing because we're still predestinated? And that, in a sense, would be logical. But the Spirit of the Lord doesn't make you free to do whatever you want, including sinful things. The Spirit of the Lord frees you to become what God has predestinated you to be. So it takes off the shackles of unbelief. It takes off the shackles of pornography. It takes off the shackles of pride. It can take off the shackles of uh, you know, ambition and uh, greed and all the other things that are out there in the world that holds a person back. 
and the, and the liberty that Christ gives frees you. Because now you can say, I'm free from all of that. I'm free from my past. And I'm free from my, uh, my problems. I'm free from the complexes that I have. I'm free to become a real son and daughter of God. <clears throat> That's what liberty is for. The liberty is to free you to now come under the leadership and the headship of Christ. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? Your liberty is not that now you're above the law. Now you can do whatever speed you want. That's not true. And all the young men said, move on. But the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, like looking in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So remember now what John wrote. He says, we don't really know what we shall be. But when he appears, he says, we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him, right? The only way that that could happen is that this is fulfilled, is that the Spirit of the Lord comes in such a way that the presence of God is powerful enough to change you and transform you into likeness with Christ. And that's what this teaching is about this morning. So let me say it now in a couple of different ways. I'm going to say the same thing, but let me say it in a couple of different ways. Church Age Book. God became expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. God expressed himself. God showed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Or Jesus was the express image of God. The express image of God is only used one time in all of the Bible. It is in Hebrews 1, verse 3. And this, it, it, it means this. As a matter of fact, in the Bible language, express and image are the same word. The same word in the Greek language is character. Let me show it to you. It is the Greek word that's almost spelled identical uh, to character. And it, it is... The same word in both, both of these English words here, that it, it is the, uh, that Jesus was the express, express, or the express, express image of God. That what God was, what God was, <clears throat> there's the Greek word character. That's how it's spelled. When you click on it in your Bible, you look it up in the Greek, it is the word character. So express image means the instrument that's used for engraving or carving something. It's the mark that's stamped upon that instrument or wrought on it. And hence a figure, a mark, burned on or stamped on an impression. This is what it means. It is the exact expression or the exact image of something else. It is not, there's no differences at all. When you look at that, when you look at that, what that engraving tool actually does, it is exactly the same as the original. There is no difference whatsoever. But in the Bible language, when Paul uses the fact that Jesus was the express image of God, it means that when you saw Jesus, you saw God. Because there's no difference. You can put it, you can, you can scrutinize, you can examine all you want. But let me tell you, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because there's no difference. That's quite a statement to make. As a matter of fact, 
That's why they crucified him in the first place. Now, now that's, that's quite a, a strong statement here. And let me just go a little further and say this. Again, in John 14, John 1 and 14, the word was made flesh. The substance of God, what God was, was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. God expressed himself. The great spirit of God, which no man could approach, no man had seen or could behold, was now expressed in flesh, dwelt amongst men, and expressing the fullness of God to men. Wow. I I mean, you folks that know the message, you kind of probably know where I'm going with this, because if God expressed himself fully in the person of Christ, and all God was was poured into Christ, guess where it is now? Right? But let's think about it this way, because I love this, this word expresses what I was really focusing on. And I, 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 just, I just would kind of like to say it this way. The way that we understand how God works is, when we come to a realization of what God did at Calvary, and we see what Jesus actually did, he died for sins. Huh. So think with me this way. You realize, that's why David said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Right? And then we think, ah, well, it makes sense then. And that's why they applied the token back in the first exodus. We're going from left to right here. Jesus died on Calvary. Well, now this Old Testament scripture makes sense. And this Old Testament story makes sense. Because now we understand why they would have applied the blood. Because the only, the only way to be forgiven is under the blood, right? The only way for the death angel to pass over is through the blood. Ah, well now that makes sense of why God had to kill a lamb in the Garden of Eden. Because that's the only way that God can deal with humankind if they are found sinners. And they were back in the Garden of Eden. Ah, all of this makes sense now because I understand what Calvary is about. I understand, I understand more about the meaning of Calvary. So now all of this other stuff makes sense now, right? That's the way we discover. That's the way we understand the expression of God. But that's not the way that God understands it. That's not the way that God thinks about it at all. As a matter of fact, here's the way that God thinks about it. The other, way, the other order. These are all the same pictures, folks. They're just all in a different order. So when God took that lamb and killed it there in the Garden of Eden and shed that blood, he knew what was coming. That was an expression of something God had in his mind. God is not discovering. God is expressing. Think about that. God is not figuring out, oh, this connects to this. Oh, I didn't know that that connected to that. No, he wrote it all. So God is actually... Whenever he does something, he's expressing himself. So he expressed himself in the Garden of Eden because he knew what was coming next. He knew that there would be an exodus that would come. I'm just, I'm just using this as an example here. And it's just a sim- there could be many, many other things in the string here. But I'm just giving an example of how he views it, that when God killed a lamb in the Garden of Eden, he already knew what was going to happen in, in the first exodus when they had to apply the blood. And then here's David. You know, he's under persecution and he's under pressure. And he's, 
And he's being chased by Saul and all the other things that are going on in his life. And he cries out and says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's not David just figuring. That's not just David express himself because he's frustrating. He's frustrated. Not at all. But that's God signifying. He's expressing what's coming next. And, and he's got a purpose in David saying that because now the son of David is there hanging on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And uh, why are they so far from helping me? Why is there nobody? Everybody's forsaken me. Everybody's gone. You've gone. Every man is gone. Nobody is helping me where I am on the cross because he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So where did God begin to express himself? Not on Calvary and then discover all these other pieces fit, but rather from the very beginning before the foundation of the world, God had all of these things in mind and he began to express them one by one, one by one, and one by one. Can you believe? Can you believe that that's how God planned your life? Can you believe that you know, you may sit here and think, well, I'm in this church. I'm, I'm here in this church. Well, oh, now I figured out, well, I was in that church before then. And then I came here and I was in the Catholic church before that or, the, you know, the Baptist church or whatever else. And now, now I can see that all makes sense back there. That's the way we look at it, right? That's the way we discover it. That's the way we understand it. But when God, when God planned your life, he knew exactly what age you'd be born in. And he knew exactly who your mom and dad would be. And he knew exactly what you would look like, the stature you're in. And it's no accident that you're born of the mother and father you are. And it's no accident that you're born the color of skin you are. No accident that, uh, you know, some of you were born in foreign countries. And, and uh, you know, God, God uh, you know, we think, well, I made a decision to go to America. Or I made a decision to join this church. I made a decision to leave that church. No, let me tell you, all you are doing is fulfilling that expression of God that he knew from before the foundation of the world. And it moves you along according to his purpose. It moves you along according to his will. It moves you along according to the place that God's ordained for you to be in at the end of this earthly journey. And I say all of that to say this. If we can have confidence that God actually ordained all the steps of our life to bring us to where we are today, then believe that God also will ordain you to come to the right place when it comes a stepping off time and we leave here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and we're gone. And, and believing that God's got a body up there and that's not an accident or a fluke or some kind of a guess. God's got a body that's waiting for me up there. God's got a, uh, God's got something up there for me because I believe that uh, I was with him not only in my early days born to Frank and Betty Coffee, but I believe I was with him even before the foundation of the world over here and written on the Lamb's Book of Life. And all the way from that, the blood followed that all the way down through time and brought me to where I am today to get me to where I need to be. You could never be a part of that. You don't, let me tell you, that's why I need to, you need to understand, this is not a gospel of works. This is not a gospel of avoidance. You're not going to avoid enough sinful habits to be pure in the eyes of God. This is not it at all. This is God bringing his family home. 
This is God taking his offspring, his seed, back to where they originally came from in the first place. This is about God looking at you, and no matter how much he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. Because he designed it that the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross would actually remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. And there's a stack of mistakes piled up against you, even after you became a Christian. But I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter. It'll never hold up in court, because our attorney is the judge, and he's the one who's already decided that their sins are gone they're gone and so there's lots of people who think they're making decisions and I tell you it's just expressing the attributes that God has it's just expressing the, the, the things that are in the heart of God I love this little statement here by General MacArthur. He said, by profession, I'm a soldier. And I take pride in that fact. But I am, a pr- I am prouder, indif- inf- infinitely prouder to be a father. And he said, a soldier destroys in order to build. A father only builds, never destroys. Somebody say amen. The one has the potentialities of death. The other embodies creation of life. It is my hope that my son, when I'm gone, will remember me not from the battle, but the home, but in the home, repeating with him our simple daily prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where's he getting that from? Where is that coming from? That's just not a that's just not because MacArthur's a good guy. Let me tell you, that's an expression of what's in the heart of God. Because the heart of God is to be a father. Isn't that right? The heart of God is to be a father. And I don't know where General MacArthur stands according to the book of, you know, the Lamb's Book of Life or anything else. And, not, and that's not the point. The point is this, is that if that's who we are, the children of God, and we came from the mind of God, and he, recorded, he saw us and recorded us before the foundation of the world, because past, present, and future are all the same to God. It's all now to God, right? It's all here and now to God. Don't go to sleep on me now. We're almost done. I know we're, we're on a new time frame here, but stay with me here. It's all on the, on the current time frame. It's here and now with God. Everything is. And if that's the case, if that's the case, and God's put certain things in you, it's not me trying to be a Christian, and it's not me trying to keep up with God's word, and it's not me trying, uh, you know, to, uh, you know to, to be a righteous kind of a person. No. No. There's been a tool that God's used. To imprint on me the character of all that was in Christ. To, char- to, to imprint on you the character of Christ. So that when Satan looks, he can't see anything but Christ. He looks at your flesh and he's loud about that. I mean, he's vocal about that. But you know what? That doesn't matter because my flesh is not born again and I'll readily admit it. I got news for you. Neither is yours. But in terms of, uh, you know, eternal consequences, let me tell you, what, what matters is the eternal life that's on the inside. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that we can, you know, uh, you know throw caution to the wind and do whatever we want to. As a matter of fact, Brother Man is very clear. He says we should behave ourselves like Christians. Our conduct should be Christians because we are aliens here. This is not our home. If this is not our home, what is? I pray, what is? Our home is in heaven. Our home is in, in glory. Isn't that right? Our home is with God. And if our home is with God, then Lord, my Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let my life match that. And I'm free now to become like it is up there. We were just put here temporarily, he says, but there's something in us that calls us to live. And it calls out to, from us to live. And something in us that calls out to do right. 
So you say, well, if I'm predestinated, can I do whatever I want because I'm still predestinated and nothing's going to take it away? Let me tell you, if you're predestinated, you've got something in you that calls to do right and something in you that desires not to do wrong anymore. And I often, like I told you before, and I'll say it again, I often ask God to look at my desire, not at my conduct. But Lord, look at my desire. And sometimes when you get caught up and you trip and you make mistakes and you fall into a trap or you get scraped up or something else happens there, I say, Lord, I don't want to live that way. I'm sorry. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to make those mistakes. I don't want to react that way. I don't want to have those failings in my life. Lord, do whatever you need to do to correct that in me. And I often pray that way. I don't know about you, you saints that are out there, but I often do. Because my desire is not to live like this world and to react like this world. My desire is to live like they live up there. And I've never been up there, but i got a sense that they don't fly off the handle down here and use four-letter words down here. Or, sorry, up there. Right? They don't, they don't, uh, they're not irreverent up there. I believe they're pretty reverent up there. I believe they're pretty, uh, you know, sober-minded up there. Sorry for my voice. It's kind of going all over the place here, but at least I still got it. <clears throat> That's my desire is to live here like I live up there but you're not going to do that on your own you're going to do that only if the engraver comes along with his engraving tool and starts starts working you over and starts starts applying the, the hammer and the chisel to your life and that's really what he wants to do because it's just like what Michelangelo said about that piece of stone he said I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free Somehow or another, I could look inside that piece of stone. I could see that there was a, a, a figure in there. I saw, I saw David in there. And when I, when I saw that piece of rock, it was more than a piece of rock to me. I, I, I just started carving. I, I, I just knew one day David would jump out of that rock. And you know what he did after five years? Because that's how long it took, five years for him to carve in that rock. And he did. And he had his underlings, his uh, associates, they, they, he would come along with a paint or a, like a chalk marker and he'd just mark and say, cut this off right here and cut that corner off and cut this piece off right here. And they would just chisel away. But he was the one that had the vision. He was the only one really that knew what was going on. And they would chip away, not really understanding, well, why would I want to take that off? And why would I want to do this? But he had something in his mind. And Brother Branham says it this way. He says, this Michelangelo, it cost him something to do that. And he was a great man. He said it cost a big part of his life because he was many, many years in carving, just like a rock. Just take a rock of marble and keep carving on it. And the only sculptor himself, only the sculptor himself has in mind what he's trying to do. And you might walk up and say, what are you pecking on that rock for? And to the outsider who doesn't know what's in his heart, it's nonsense. But to the sculptor, he's got a vision in his mind. He's trying to make, trying to reproduce what he has on his mind in the form of a monument. And that's the reason he's digging it out of the rocks. I got good news for you. That's the reason why God hasn't given up on you, because he's trying to dig something out of you that you don't even know is there. And your mom and dad don't even know it's there. You as a mom and dad don't even know it's in you. but God doesn't give up because he's got a vision of you. So we're not trying to imitate Christ in his physical image, but we must in our souls reflect his spirit image and his manner of life. You say, well, Brother Barry, you know what? We know this. I mean, we, we know this. We, everything you've said this morning, we know. I know you know. But you know... 
actually living this out in your daily life is, is a little bit more challenging than just knowing what I said. It's, it's <clears throat> you know, Jesus paid a price for being who he was. And he had to do some hard things. He had to forgive you, right? You certainly didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway because he loved you. And his love and the joy that he had that allowed him to go to the cross was greater than the offense that it caused him. The love that he had for you was greater than the offense you caused him. But he went, he went, he went anyway because he loved you more than how much he was offended. You, you, I mean, you have to understand that your sins offended a righteous God. Right? And so Jesus goes, and, and as grieved and as offended as he was and as, as abhorrent as your sin was, Jesus said, I love them more than that, and I'm going to go anyway and die. That's a powerful thing. That's what we need. So let me leave you with this little story of Wiesenthal. Wiesenthal was a, <clears throat> he was born in uh, 19, 1904 or something like that. He lived to be 98 years old. And he became uh, the person who was, was in his later years a great Nazi hunter. And he brought many, many people who were in the, involved in the Holocaust to justice. And uh, he was a very respected man, although he was a Jew. He was a very respected man among Jews until he died in 2004. <clears throat> Wiesenthal was, was an interesting man because born in... Uh, Herzog, Slovenia, or Yugoslavia, uh, he was taken with all of his family, his wife and children, and all of his father, mother, grand, grand or, you know, his whole family unit were taken out of the village and they were brought to uh, Auschwitz. And uh, he was selected by Mengel at the platform to work. And so he was, you know, got, got this signal instead of that signal, and, and the rest of his family, he saw them all going. And all the women and children, his grandmother was gone to the ovens. And they knew, when they were on that train, they knew. They knew that, you know, this is, this is not, we're not going to a, a summer camp here. And he knew that, that his mother and his grandmother and his children all suffered this death. And there was a, uh, there was, uh, in, in the SS, in the, in the world of the SS and the Germans, a captain was a person who had a lot of authority. They were the ones who called the shots, and uh, they, they controlled all of this activity where they were destroying the Jews. And one day, Wiesenthal was, was allowed to live, and he was working in the uh, infirmary, and he was just sweeping the floor. He was just you know, doing maintenance, and that's how he stayed alive. He just did maintenance. Just uh, every, every day did the same thing, just cleaning up. And one day... Another Jewish person ran up to him in the hospital and said, come quickly. And they, he dropped his broom and he went down the hallway, went down to the back of the building, and he said, down a corridor, and the, the Jewish person was with him and said, someone wants to see you in room 104, whatever room number it was, 104. And so he said, okay. Everybody in the camp was nervous, everybody nervous when they were sent somewhere or had to go somewhere. So he went down this series of passageways and got down to the bottom floor of the hospital and went into this room 104. And in there, there was a captain, an SS captain who was there. And he said, <clears throat> he said, are you Mr. Wiesenthal? He was sick in bed. He was very sick, very close to death. And he, he raised his hand and he pointed at Wiesenthal. He said, are you Mr. Wiesenthal? And he said, yes. And he said, I've asked 
I've asked the workers to send you here to me. And we didn't all never said anything, because you know he, he was a captain in the SS, so he didn't say anything. And he said, I want you to know, he said that in the last few days, he said, I've become a Christian. He said, I gave my life to Christ. And he said, I know I'm dying. And I, I didn't become a Christian just because I'm dying, he says, but I knew all, all these years that what's going on around us here is all wrong. He said, it's all death. It's not, it's not God's will. It's not right. And he said, I know that I was involved in sending your family to the gas chambers. And he said, uh, the day you arrived, he said, I saw you. And, and I, all the rest of your family said, I led them off to the chambers. And he said, they're all dead. And he said, I was the one who gave the order for them all to go in there, and they had no choice. And he said, today, he said, I know I'm going to die of this disease that I have. Or when they find out, when the authorities find out that I'm a Christian, he said, I'll die that way. But either way, he says, I only have a very short number of hours to live. He said, there's no way for me to survive. But before I leave this earth, he said, I wanted to ask you if you would forgive me. For a moment, for a brief moment, put yourself in Wiesenthal's shoes. And tell me how you'd respond. Oh, yeah, you'd all say a certain thing now because you're in church. But if your brothers and your sisters and your father and your mother and your grandmother is all sitting, you watched their backs go over to the gas chamber and you saw this captain leading them over here. And now this captain comes back and says, Would you forgive me? Before I die, would you forgive me? You'd need to have something more than just a good personality at times like that. And Wiesenthal was absolutely floored, absolutely shocked to death that an SS person would ask him such a question like that. And he didn't say a word. He just backed up like this. And eventually... He said the drugs just kind of overtook this captain, and he went off to sleep. And he said, Wiesenthal tells of his own memoir, he said, I just left the room. And I didn't say a thing to that man. He said, I heard a day or two later he died. And he said, I always felt the one thing I left undone in life was to forgive that man. Not a Christian now. These are not Christians, right? These, this is a Jew. A Jew would have veil over his face. A Jew without the character of Christ. A Jew who had seen nothing but suffering probably all of his life. A young man with his, with his wife and children and all of his family destroyed by the flick of a finger. And he said, I thought all my life I should have forgiven that man. Now let me ask you, what would you do? you think about the situations that we face in life and you think about the character that we have need of. It's one thing, you know, to say, well, uh, you know, somebody's sitting in my pew, I can probably forgive that. But when it comes to the more serious issues of life, it comes to people who unjustly criticize you. It comes to people who don't treat you just like you think you should be treated. And then for you to start doing things that are found in the New Testament, like turning the other cheek, walking the other mile, give them your cloak also. When one member hurts, we all hurt. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. As much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. All the other things that are found in the New Testament relating to how we relate to one another, 
and how we are to forgive. Otherwise, our Heavenly Father doesn't forgive us. Let me tell you, it'll take more. It'll take more than just attending church. Because in a lot of ways, the way we are is because we have a pretty, we have a pretty um, firm set of traditions in this church. You know, we do the father-son camp out, we do the mother-daughter tea, and we do the fall fellowship, and we do the, all those things. You know, we have, we have a lot of uh, traditions, and we have a lot of habits that we have. Not bad. No, I'm not saying they're bad at all. But you can look like a, a real member by f- going along and doing all the things that we do. But in the eternal scheme of things, those things really don't matter much. We've got to go a little deeper, really, now. And this is what God is doing. He's shaking us up a little bit, I think, to go a little bit deeper. Because if you're a part of God's Godhead, you've got to go all the way to Calvary, all the way to the cross. You've got to go all the way, not halfway, but you've got to go all the way. And not just here in the building, but we had to go all the way. And that's what's challenging. To me, that's what's challenging. To me, it's, what's, it's, it's, it's what, you know, it's, I guess God's really speaking to my heart about because uh, I just don't want to go through the motions here of being a part of a church and just being a churchgoer. There is a world of difference between a churchgoer and a real Christian, and you know that. And I'm, not, I'm not being critical of anybody. I'm just saying that if, if there's going to be ever a time when you, when you begin to think about that, really, now's a great time for you to think about that. Well, we still have the opportunities to be able to repent and, and uh, you know, to, to go further in God and, and to change our ways and to forgive. What a great thing it is to have the opportunity to forgive. Probably every one of us have reasons to forgive and people that we can forgive. What a, what a great thing that God's given you the opportunity to be able to do that. I think that's a wonderful thing. And to be able to look at ourselves, like, like uh, you know, the Bible says, to look at ourselves in the mirror of God's word and, and, and realize that at, in the time of his appearing, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And you're living in a time when the veils have been all taken off and you can see Christ as he really is in the word. Matter of fact, the prophet taught us we see him in every single verse of the Bible. Every single verse. And if that's true, my goodness, you can't pick up your Bible and read it, but you not see Christ. But it's no good for us to recognize Christ in there. I want, uh, I want to be able to recognize Christ in here. And that's the great challenge. That's the great challenge. Let's stand. Let's have our musicians just slip up to the, the pulpit here. So you know the... It was said last weekend, again, that you know, the, greatest, the greatest threat to this world is not global warming. And the greatest threat to this world is not nuclear holocaust. But the greatest threat really is the blindness that veils systems so that they keep going on in a religious way and wind up taking the mark of the beast and have no exit. They have no way out. What a terrible kind of blindness that is when they, when they feel like they're following the right thing and they're not. But God has... God has expressed himself through a prophet in this last day to bring out something in you. And that's the reason you're here. And that's the reason you're still here is because God's at work in us, bringing out of us like Michelangelo looked at the stone and brought out the the image of David there. 
I just want to believe that God's looking at you and a whole world might look at you and not understand, but God's looking at you and saying, I see a real son of God there. I see a real daughter of God there. And I'm just going to keep pecking away. And everybody might have asked Michelangelo, what in the world are you still picking, pecking away at that stone for? And, and Michelangelo had the vision. It's hard to describe, but I'll tell you what, at the end of this thing, it's going to be something that will last for years and years and years, centuries, and people are going to love it. People are going to come from all over the world to see it. I did, and, and it's, it's just a magnificent thing. Could it, could, it, could it also be true? As that's the analogy that Brother Branham drew, but could it also be true that the reason we're still here is because God's still got a little pecking and a little polishing to do and a little rough edges to work off there. But, you know, at the end of it, his excitement, his, his passion is for, for a bride to stand there in completion. Be able to stand there and say, this is my bride. Take my arm. Off we go. And be there on the other side. I say this, take advantage of everything that God's provided. Your failures are not going to hold you back. Your mistakes are not going to hold you back. They don't count. They're not going to hold up in court. We are being groomed. We are being taught. We are being shaped to accept the role that God has ordained for us. And all kinds of other voices are out there and all kinds of other distractions, but we are being ordained to take a role, to stand as the sons and daughters of God. Oh, I'll tell you what, I, when you think about it, it's a lofty thing to think about, but I, let's go a little further with it, if that'll be all right. Let's go, let's see where God takes us with this. And I hope he kind of takes us home. Falling in love with Jesus. Help me out here. Falling in love. Falling in love. With my Jesus, best thing I've ever, ever done. Sing it again now. Oh, falling in love with my Jesus, falling in love with Jesus. arms oh, 
by fluke and not just by circumstance. I got nowhere else to go. That's not it. But I believe that when we look back, we can make sense of our lives. Well, God made sense of your life long before you ever walked it. He made sense of your life from back here. Right? That's how he views things. That's how he sees things. That's how, that's how he thinks. And now we're just expressing what was in his mind. We're just expressing now what he thought of. What was in his heart. That's what we're doing. We're expressing now. We look back. Ah, makes sense. Where we go from here, not really sure. But you know what? The God who got us to here is the God who's going to get us to there. And we're going to trust him. What's the song? What? You are God alone. Yeah. We sang it. We sang it early this morning. We sang it early in the first song service. Go ahead. You are God alone. From before time began, and you are on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone From before time began You are on your throne You are God alone And right now In the good times and bad You are on your throne You are God alone only God whose name and praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone, for you are God alone, from before time began. 
Your presence, Lord, is able to change a life. And you're able, Lord, to transform somebody's thinking. Lord, our our words can help. Our words can assist. Our our own words can create an atmosphere. But, Lord, it's only your presence that really brings real change in our lives. So, Lord, may we live and conduct ourselves in a way that the presence of God is welcome among us. And, Lord, that's not going to happen just here in church. That's going to happen, Lord, in our daily lives. And when we come together, Lord, we bring a little portion of you with us. Father, just have your way now, I pray. And we often say that, but Lord, we know that you desire to to complete the process in us of of coming to maturity, of coming to a place of fullness, a place of joy, a place of peace, a place that the world may never recognize. But Lord, it doesn't really matter. Help us, I pray, Lord. Because we have no sentence of condemnation over us. We've been set at liberty as the sons of God. And Lord, I just ask that you would just change us, mold us, Lord. Keep us in the center of your will. And Lord, may we, when we come to a place like Mr. Wiesenthal did, Lord, many years ago, may we act on the opportunities that are put before us. Lord, we would forgive and we would love and we would go the extra mile. Just as if you were there. Help us, Lord, to act that way. We love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your many blessings. I pray now, Lord, you would touch every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. close to you. Let's sing that this morning as we leave this morning together. Draw
Let's go. 